All right, so question for you. Do you know where you were at exactly this time seven years ago? October 23, 2009. Think back real quick. Um, I know exactly where I was because I took a picture. Um, I was sitting in the basement of a church in Seoul, South Korea, and I was listening. Go ahead and throw that picture up on the screen, guys, if you would, um, to a pastor from Australia by the name of Phil Pringle preach. And it ended up being, I didn't take this picture because it was a great moment. I took this picture because I was a tourist in South Korea at a church conference. But it ended up being one of the greatest days of my life. Um, And it came at the end of probably the very darkest season of my life. From 2007 to 2009, um, I had a tough three years. I don't know if you've ever had a tough three years. Maybe you're in the midst of a tough three years. Maybe you're at the beginning of a tough three years. Maybe you're at the end of a tough three years. But I had a tough three years. I had the type of years that uh, every night when I went to bed, I had anxiety so bad that I could I could hardly sleep at all for three years. And then I would wake up and my depression was so bad that I didn't want to do anything more than sleep all day. Um, I lived the type of year that every time uh, my phone would ring, I'd get, I'd get gripped with anxiety or I'd hear the text message buzz uh, like my system would almost shut down. I lived the type of existence where when I would finally get to checking communications and I'd open my, my laptop and I'd have hundreds of emails that I'd just break down crying, trying to figure out when I would ever get caught up. Um, I lived the type of years where every morning I woke up and literally my first thought every morning is I woke up, I would take a deep breath and I would think only so many hours till I get to go back to bed. Only eight hours till I can lay down again. Only 12 hours till I can go back to to bed again. All all I've got today is a breakfast and then in two hours I can be back in bed again. I lived three years where I don't know that I was ever more than halfway present with anyone that I was ever with because I was in a dark season of my life. I actually, as I was winding down my life into utter hopelessness, I went back this week and I looked at my journal, backing up a month from October 23rd, 2009, just to see what I was communicating to myself about life. And here's some of the notes that I had written down. I pulled these from my journal this week from seven years ago. September 23, 2009, Lord, give me energy to get through today. October 2, 2009, difficult days are continuing. Two days later, October 4, 2009, I'm bottoming out. October 11th, a week later, 2009, I'm really down today. October 15th, 2009, got to unload lots of stress on dad today. It was good for me. My poor dad, I probably ruined his week that day unloading all this on him. The next day, October 16th, 2009, I'm so burdened, I'm miserable. Lord, take the burden, lift the burden. October 21, I'm weak and I'm frustrated. Lord, touch me this week. I wrote this week because I was getting ready to get on a plane to fly to South Korea. And I was going to a pastor's conference in South Korea and I made this decision on the flight on the way over here. If something doesn't happen this week, I'm done living life the way I've been living life. A serious change is needed. I'm done living in this existence of heaviness, depression, anxiety. Something's got to give. And as we landed the plane, I closed my journal October 22nd, 2009. It was a Thursday night. And here's the last thing I wrote in my journal, October 22, 2009. Lord, show me my future. And then in all caps with an exclamation point, I literally screamed at the Lord, show me. I was desperate. I was hopeless. I was hurting. And the next morning, I found myself listening to Phil Pringle preach in the basement of a church. And he's talking about how to see in faith the future that God wants you to have. 
and he talks about his daughter who was, who was pregnant, getting ready to have a baby. And he said, you know, my, my daughter's getting ready to have a baby. And there's lots of sign that, signs that she's going to have a baby from the first trimester of morning sickness to, you know, now her, her belly's starting to, to get big and her back's starting to hurt. And, you know, she's beginning to be miserable when it's hot outside. There's lots of signs. But he said, we got to go in and do the sonogram. He talked about he and his wife. He said, when we had my daughter, we, we weren't able even to do a sonogram at that time to tell us whether or not it was going to be a boy or a girl. You just wait till you get to the hospital and then you find out what it is. He said, now, so they've got this 3D sonogram machine and we went with my daughter to see her sonogram. And he said, they're waving the womb. They're waving this wand over my daughter's womb. And he said, there's our little grandbaby. And it's in color and you can see its hands and you can see its eyes and it's sucking its thumb and it, it has the hiccups and you can see little hairs on its head. And he's like, there is the baby right there in front of us. And he said it hadn't been born yet, but it was so clear that it was coming. He said, what if God today would, would wave a wand of faith over your spiritual womb? What is God trying to birth in you that's there if you could just push one more time? And as he said that, it, it took less than a minute. It took more than a second. It was a moment. As he said that, I took a moment to answer that question and I thought about what life could look like, a life of faith for me. And I thought about a Christian life filled with purpose and with friends and with joy and with peace and a deep faith that brought deep satisfaction to life. And I thought about being in a church that would reach people who'd never been to church before, but who would come and they would find Jesus and reaching people who'd been to church their entire life, but they'd never really been passionate about anything spiritually and, and leading a church so spiritually fulfilled that together would would join together to impact a community and a world by living very intentionally for each other and with each other and for those in need. And as I had that moment, I felt like God whispered in my spirit, do it, do it. I don't feel like it was as much of a call to begin to live that life as it was permission to do it. And I took the notes page that I was writing on, taking notes from Phil Pringle's sermon that I keep next to my desk to this day, October 23, 2009. And for the first time in my life, I thought the words and wrote down the words that you can see highlighted there, the journey Jackson County, Easter or Labor Day 2011. In a moment, it was like God said, this could be your life if you would get healthy and you could help others do the same thing. And my cry of, Lord, show me my future, I wasn't praying that God would literally show me what was next. I don't even know what I was saying. I was just desperate. But in a moment, God said, this is what could be done. That afternoon, I ended up in a stadium, Souls World Cup Stadium, with a thousand Christian, a hundred thousand Christian leaders from all over the world. And Pastor Simon, a pastor from Africa, got up and he stood and he talked to the pastors of the world. He said, we need your help in Africa. And I started thinking about Africa and I started thinking about pastors that I was sitting beside from South America and Australia and New Zealand, in Europe, in communist countries in Asia. And I thought, man, if we start a church, it's got to touch the world. And I went back that night and I pulled back that journal that I had been crying into for the last three years. And I wrote down on October 23rd, 2009, for the first time, journeyed the words journey church international and I started and I said birthed in my heart today and seven years later to the day here we are I don't tell you that story for me I tell you that story for you because I believe with all my heart that regardless of how dark 
and broken your life may feel today, that you can rebuild what's broken, and I believe your best years can be ahead. It might not be easy. It wasn't easy for me. It won't all be fun. It wasn't all fun for me. But I do not believe that when life doesn't meet your expectations that you change your expectations and you settle. I believe as a Christian, when life doesn't meet your expectations, you begin to talk to God, you begin to lean into God, and I believe you change your life and you live the life that God has designed for you to live. We've learned all of this through the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah right now, reach inside your bulletin, pull out those sermon notes, or fire up our Journey Church International app on your smartphone or tablet so you can follow along. Because as we've been reading and studying through the book of Nehemiah, we've learned that People who are connected to God aren't supposed to settle for broken. We've learned that while it's okay not to be okay, God's design is not to leave you that way. We've learned if we're going to rebuild, we've got to learn to lean on other people. We can't try to do it ourselves. We've got to learn to take inventory of what's broken without accusing everyone else and blaming others for our brokenness. And we've learned that we have to talk to God before we talk to other people. We've learned a lot about how to rebuild a person that can rebuild a broken life. And we've worked our way from Nehemiah 1.1 to Nehemiah 2.16, learning all of this. And now finally, it's time for Nehemiah and it's time for us to begin rebuilding. And as we look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, only three verses today, and one of them is actually from last week. Here's what we learn. Nehemiah had gone to Jerusalem. He'd taken a tour of the city. He'd seen everything that was broken. He was now ready to start rebuilding the wall. And here's what Nehemiah said after he returned home from that late night ride around the city. He said, the officials in Jerusalem didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. But then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah, after months of prayer, months of travel, three days really taking an inventory of what needed to be done, he began to rebuild with a simple thought. It's time. It's time. And when it comes to rebuilding something that's broken, there's always the key point of someone finally saying, it's time. And maybe today it's time for you. Maybe today it's time for your marriage. Maybe today it's time for your finances. Maybe today it's time for that broken relationship. Maybe today it's time to recognize some of the unhealthy things in life. Maybe it's time. But here's what we find as we look through the book of Nehemiah. When it comes time to rebuild something that's broken, number one, somebody has to finally stand up and speak truth. Someone has to finally stand up and say, look, this is broken and it's time to do something about it. After 140 years of the walls and gates of Jerusalem being torn down, after 93 years of the Jews living back in the city of Jerusalem and learning how to just live in a city that was broken and not doing anything about it, Nehemiah finally spoke up and look at what he said in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. 
Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. You know, as I look at Nehemiah and as I look at life and as I look at even my own life, you know, there's one key difference between assessing brokenness and admitting brokenness and it's reality. There's one key difference between looking around and trying to figure out if something's broken forever and kind of walking around the edges of brokenness and finally admitting brokenness. And it's a, it's a reality. We just finally step into reality and, and we walk around the city like Nehemiah and we say, just look, look, everything is broken. You know, when we assess brokenness, the thought that often rolls around in our heads is I feel broken. You know, I, I, you know, I feel, I feel broken. I feel like my marriage isn't great. I feel like my relationship with my kids isn't in a good place. I feel like things might not be right at work. You know, I don't feel real good emotion. We talk about our feelings. When we assess brokenness, we feel. But Nehemiah did more than feel. In Nehemiah 2.17, he said, I said to them, you see. It's not about feelings anymore. You see, look around. You see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah said, look around. This doesn't feel broken. It is broken. You see, admitting brokenness goes from I feel broken to I am broken. And you will never begin to rebuild what's broken until you finally admit this is broken. In Nehemiah 2.17, Nehemiah said, this is broken. Now come, let's rebuild it so that we'll no longer be in disgrace. See, we believe it's okay not to be okay. But we believe it's God's design not to leave you that way. But here's the thing. You can't live in the design of, you can live in the design of God or you can live in the disgrace of broken, but you can't do both. And that's what some of you are trying to do. You're trying to follow God in a life that's totally broken without really admitting the brokenness. You're trying to maximize your spiritual potential without really reflecting on what has to be fixed before you can do that, you're saying, I want all the design of God, but I don't really want to admit how broken that I am. You can live in the design of God. You can live in the disgrace of broken, but you can't do both. You know, when, I, when we first started our church, I have people ask me all the time, what has been your favorite size of church to pastor? 25. That is when I enjoyed our church the most, when we had 25 people. It's a small group. Knew everyone. Everyone knew. It was just awesome. It was, it was a great small group. I enjoyed that the most. As our church grows now, I have less contact with people, but I've made it a point that the people who are serving our church, the people who are leading our church, I try to get with them more often outside of Sunday just to hang out. So we have events called Leadership Community Roundtables where I just kind of, I, I try to personally kind of mentor, speak into, spiritually develop all the people who will be serving you all day long today. And it's those events that we just kind of hang out. I'm not the pastor. I'm just one of the people in the church. And I love those events. A few weeks, a few months ago, we had one, Rain Tree Community Church, before our church was finished. And I went upstairs to meet with our student leaders. They've got a room there that's like jungle-themed, and all the chairs are like little jungle chairs. Um, and I sat down to talk to our student leaders. And when I sat in the little stool, four pegs, and kind of like a wicker seat on top, when I sat down, my first thought when I sat down was, this chair feels broken, feels broken. Like I would wobble and it would kind of shift. And as I'm talking to them leading this, the whole time I'm thinking, this chair feels broken. And about halfway through, it literally busted and I found myself just sitting on the floor and everyone was laughing because they said, we saw that that chair was broken, but we didn't say anything. I'm thinking in my head, this chair feels broken. They're all looking at me saying, that chair is broken. But nobody said anything until I was flat on my back. Some of you 
are living in a life that you're thinking, this feels broken. You know why? Because it is. And for some reason, all the people in your life are looking at your life saying, that's broken, but they're not going to tell you about it until you're flat on your back. Nehemiah had to remind the people that God in our past is proof of God in our future. Nehemiah said, look, you got to look back to believe what can happen looking forward. And look what he said in Nehemiah 2.18. Nehemiah said, we're going to rebuild the thing. They probably thought, how are we going to do this? So he said, I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. I think Nehemiah said, listen, this appears impossible. But let me tell you what was happening six months ago. I found out the city was broken. I worked for the king of Persia, the most powerful man in the world. And I don't only ask him if I could come back here. I asked the Persian government to fund this thing. I asked him for all the money. I asked for soldiers. I asked for lumber. I asked for permission to rebuild a city, to put the walls and the gates back up that might one day rebel against him. And because God's hand was on me, God did it. And listen, guys, if God can do that, God can do this. Here's what we're going to do, and here's why I believe it's going to happen. You know, Nehemiah's proof of what God could do was what God had done. And some of you are thinking, man, I just don't know what God could do in my life. What has God done in your life that you could reflect on to remind yourself that your God is good, that your God is powerful, that your God is able, that your God is with you? Some of you are saying, well, he hasn't done anything for me, Christian. I don't see God in my past, so I don't know how I can trust him in my future. You, know, you may not see God, but that doesn't mean he's not there. You may just not be looking closely enough. After my little sister a few years ago had her third miscarriage, I began to change the way that I prayed for her. She had a condition that where when she would get pregnant, basically the wall of her womb would not hold the embryo. Once, once the baby began to grow and it got past a certain point, it would just drop. She did not have the physical ability for the lining of her uterus to hold a baby. And after the first miscarriage, we cried and we prayed. And after the second one, we cried and we prayed and we found out more. And then they asked us to pray specifically that if she got pregnant, that the womb would hold the baby because it had problems doing that. And after the third miscarriage, I didn't tell her, I didn't tell anyone, but I changed my prayer. I quit praying that the womb would hold the baby and I started praying she wouldn't get pregnant. I just, I'd, I'd been through it enough with her I cried enough tears with her and my parents that I just thought, I'm just going to pray it doesn't happen. This is useless. She's not built for it. So I'm just going to pray she won't get pregnant. And I started praying, God, just don't let her get pregnant. The pain is too great. And in this season, I was going to work out with a friend of mine who worked out really early in the morning, like 5 a.m. So I'd be on the road at 4.30 a.m. driving out to his house. And I've told you I like the stars. I like looking at the stars and stuff. And I began to realize day after day as I pulled into his driveway, literally on the horizon at the time of night I was going, literally at the end of his driveway, it looked like you, would, you could drive into the Big Dipper. Like the Big Dipper handle and, the, and kind of the, the, the bucket at the end was at the end of his driveway. It looked if you, like if you drive, drove off his driveway, you'd drive right into it. So every morning that was kind of, that was kind of my, my North Star, right? I'd drive into his driveway and there was the Big Dipper. And I would pray all the way to his house, partly to keep myself awake and partly to feel spiritual. Um, so, you know, I, I would pray on the way there. And one day as I was praying and I was looking at the stars, I just began to quote some scripture to myself that God calls the stars by name and he holds every one of them in place. And I found myself looking at that Big Dipper that's been there for 
as long as astronomers have been looking at the sky for thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of years, God has held the Big Dipper right where it is so it's not even changed shape. And God spoke to me and said, wait a minute. You think I've got the ability to hold the Big Dipper in the sky, but I can't hold a little baby in your sister's womb? Why don't you look at what I've done in the past to have hope for your future and begin to pray? I thought about the Big Dipper a year later when my little sister had her one and only child at this point, and I was holding him in the hospital. I looked down. She wouldn't let me name him Big Dipper. I wanted to. It's like, you know, can we name him Big Dipper? And she's like, that's just weird. And I was like, okay, but I'm always, I'll never look at him without thinking that because God had to remind me what he did in the past so I could trust that he could do it in the future. Do you know that in Jeremiah 33, verses 20 and 21, God tells the prophet Jeremiah, because the people of Israel felt like God had abandoned them, God said, listen, here's the scenario. God said, I want you to understand my promises are as sure as the sun. God says, the day the sun doesn't come up, you can begin to question whether I'll show up that day. But every day the sun rises, know I'm there. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you went to bed worried that the sun wouldn't come up the next day. What did you think about that? When's the last time you couldn't sleep and you had to keep peeking through your blinds because you were wondering, is the sun going to come up? God says, the way you trust the sun, trust me. Don't ever go to bed wondering if tomorrow I'll be there. The way you trust the sun, it's so consistent you don't even think about it. Trust me like that. I'm that consistent in your life. Look at what I've done in the past to know what I can do in the future. You see, the story of the Bible is nothing more than the story of God creating new life from broken things. Like, that's the whole story of this entire book. We break stuff, God fixes it. Adam and Eve broke the garden. God stepped in and he fixed it. Noah and his family broke the whole purpose of the ark after they had landed and tried to start a community that would worship God. So God stepped in and he talked to Abraham and he chose he and his descendants and Abraham and his descendants broke every covenant that God tried to give him and God kept stepping in. He gave David a royal throne, but David and his kids blew the royal line and the royal dynasty of Israel. They broke that, so God had to step in. Israel's rebellion broke the entire country. It's why we are where we are in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah would rebuild the walls and the, and the gates and they would be torn down and rebuilt again and torn down and rebuilt again and torn down and rebuilt again. You say, man, God's people are bad. No, they're not. But they're broken. And broken people break things. And the story of the Bible is God stepping into the lives of broken people who have broken things and trying to repair them. In the midst of all the brokenness, a man named Jesus came and he started a movement with a group of friends of people who would exist to help the world rebuild their broken lives. And when you look at Jesus' words to his followers and Jesus, the actions of Jesus' followers, what we find out is Jesus' plan for his followers through his church is that they would help broken people rebuild. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 4, I've came to give good news to people who are sick of hearing bad news. I've come to help broken people rebuild their lives. And you know what? The plan is really, really simple, but it's really, really hard to see sometimes. And seven years ago, at this very moment, seven years ago in the basement of a church in South Korea, God reminded me of his plan. But listen to what God did to me. God leveraged my brokenness 
to create a desperation in my spirit that would do whatever God told me to do if it would just rescue me. I look back on October 23rd, 2009, and I don't feel called that day. I feel rescued that day. But any time God rescues somebody, it's not just to set them back up on their feet for them. It's to set them back up on their feet for them and the world around them. I found out as I began to study Scripture that God's plan revolved around His worship and His people and His purposes for my life and my growth in all those areas. I talk about God's worship. And let me ask you this today. Are you worshiping or are you in church? I'd just been going to church. It wasn't really about a big God that I could trust with big things. It was just going to church. On Sunday, I went to church. The songs didn't mean anything to me, and the sermons I didn't really apply to my life. I just went to church. I wasn't worshiping, giving God all of me at least one day of week, and then trusting myself with Him the rest of the week. That's what we try to do each Sunday. We try to worship. I realized that I not only wasn't worshiping, I was going to church, but I was going to church alone. I was around lots of people, but none of them that I was really close to and none that would be close to me. I taught on Sundays to hundreds of people that I had zero relationship with. Seven years ago this day, I didn't have one Christian friend. And I had hundreds of people that I was doing ministry with. And I thought, I not only don't worship, I certainly don't worship with people in Jesus' name that I'm doing Christian life with. And I don't know that I'm doing God's work because I'm not loving people and serving people. I just teach and preach. And I realized that I was not living God's plan for my life. I wasn't in his word. I wasn't in prayer. I was journaling how desperate I was, but I wasn't going to the source of help until that day in Korea. As God called me into something new, I began to study what healthy Christianity looked like. We created a template that came from my life for our church that we call the four E's. We said, man, what does it look like to live a healthy spiritual life? Well, it's one that revolves around weekly worshiping, not church, worship. And not just worship of God, but worship with a Christian community that's engaged in our life and that knows us deeply. It's about embracing, serving one another in a way that kind of everyone helps everyone when someone needs help. And it's about equipping ourselves with a spiritual plan and always being willing to go to the next step in our relationship. You know, the good news about rebuilding broken is that Jesus has already laid out the steps for your plan to rebuild. Like, good news, you've already got the template. I guess the the unknown news is whether you're going to do anything about it. You see, we can't do everything today, and, and I didn't. Seven years in, I'm still trying to implement proper elements of worship and serving and Christian friendship and trying to learn how to grow. I'm still trying to do it. But I look back to seven years ago today and I realized I took a few real key simple steps that began to get me back up on this feet. You can't do everything today, but you can do something. So let me give you three things to do this week. Pretty simple, okay? And I can't promise you, but here's, um, here's what I'll challenge you with. I believe if you'll do this this week, that it'll be better than last week. And that maybe slowly you'll begin to rebuild. Number one, I want you to keep praying the restoration prayers and the text message prayers you've learned the past two weeks. If you say, I don't know what that means, go back and listen online to our last two messages. You can download the sermon notes. There's a 30-second prayer that I've taught our people 
to pray every day for 90 days just to reset their mind and ask God for help. Keep doing that. Number two, I want you to begin to connect to the Word of God because that's where the Spirit of God speaks to you so often. Here's what I want you to do this week. Read the book of Nehemiah. It's got 13 chapters in it. Read one chapter today. Go home and read Nehemiah chapter 1. And then every day between now and next Sunday, read two chapters. When you come back next week, I want you to have read the entire book. And as you read, just read with a pen. And anything you read that could apply to your life or that surprises you or that makes you ask a question, just kind of jot that down or read with your notes section open in your phone and write down some notes. But begin to read God's Word and ask it to communicate to the Spirit of God inside of you. Next week, I'm going to give out a 52-day prayer guide. It's going to lead our entire church through the life of Jesus and the church of Jesus in 52 days because it took Nehemiah 52 days to rebuild the wall. So next week together, we'll embark on a 52-day journey that will end the week of Christmas studying Jesus and his church. It's going to be awesome. I'll give you application questions to ask yourself every day. But start this week with the book of Nehemiah. And then number three, I want to challenge you. And here's, here's the harder one because... It's where people come into the equation. I want to challenge you to connect to the people of God and the work of God by signing up to serve. You see, the only way that Sunday morning becomes more than a service is if you're engaged in the serving. Then it becomes worship. Because you come not just to serve God, but you come to be with the people of God and serve the people of God. And I believe the easiest way to begin as many steps as possible all at once is to change the dynamic of Sunday from church to worship with people for people. Let me say that again. I want to change Sunday from church to worship with people for people. It'll change everything about your week if this little shift happens on Sunday. It's not the only step of Christianity. It's certainly not the last step of your growth. But I believe it's a great first step to rebuilding broken. Seven years ago today, God stepped into my life and said, Christian, it's time. 2,400 years ago, Nehemiah stepped into a room and said, it's time. And maybe today for you, it's time. Let me ask you a question. What could your brokenness look like seven years from right now if you would respond in the little things and just begin to follow God? What could your life look like seven years from now if today you would say it's time and you would lean into God's plan for your life and for your future? Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning?